welcome back to another episode of the Language Lounge. My name is Michelle Ola and I am your host. And today I have with me the fantastic, fabulous, wonderful Samara Spielberg. And I saw you, Samara, I think the first time I ever went to Nectful and yours was one of the sessions that I had tagged that I just had to see, not only because of just all the great energy and things that you put out there in the world as far as like Twitter and just social media, but also just your topic, which I know is very near and dear to you. And I'm so excited today to talk to you about positive mental well-being of our students. And probably some of this applies to ourselves as people and teachers as well, right? And so I'm really, really happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And I'm so glad you reached out. I met you for the first time. You were one of my behind the scenes facilitators for, I think it was a Nell workshop. Oh, yes. And got, yes. And we got to connect. And I said to Marissa Coolahan, I was like, Michelle Ola. I love her. <laughs> it's, it's so funny how you have these kind of connections with people before you ever meet them. Like even like we haven't had like a one-on-one conversation, but even just through you know, just mutual people that we both love and respect, as well as, you know, our passion for, you know, what we do and for our students. It's, I think it gives us a special connection, like before we even meet some people, right? So I'm just happy to have you here. And let why don't, for those of you that, that don't know Samira and what she does and where she's at, why don't you just give us a little bit of like who you are and what your (laughs) teaching context is? (laughs) Very deep question. Yes, right. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'll take, I won't go existential on you. Um, My name is Samara Spielberg. I am the Spanish department chair at a wonderful all boys school in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. It's called the Allen Stevenson School and we are K through eight. I love teaching all boys. When I first, I've taught in several places. I taught in Spain after college, and then I was in public school, and I thought that maybe this was going to be a little blip on the radar for me, you know, try out independent schools and see what single-sex education is like, and I love what my school stands for, um, many ways to be a boy, and that has been such a huge part of the vision and mission of my Spanish team, because we really truly believe that there are many ways to be anybody, a human being. And that has really helped form the ways in which that we, we teach Spanish. So that's amazing. That's me. <laughs> I love it. And I was, and at Neckful in that presentation, you were actually presenting with your coworkers, right? And what a great um, just experience to see you as a team, like coming together around this vision and what you believe. And I just am so looking forward to, to digging into this topic. Well, you know, as a department chair, I, when I first became the, the department chair, I think I was called the team leader at that point. I said, can we all create a mission statement together or a vision statement? And so everybody anonymously put in just what they thought was most important. And then you see the commonalities Mm -hmm. and we started moving things and prioritizing and coming up with strong statements that we believed in. And then we checked ourselves, right? You go throughout the year and you look back at it and you say, are we achieving what we've set out to do? And is this truly what's important to us? Do we need to reframe it? And then every year we revisit it as well. So I'm currently hiring somebody Fingers crossed. Yes. Put out the good juju. 
<laughs> and I want to make sure that this person feels really welcomed and a part of our vision and mission. So we will be really open and flexible to rewording things and having deep discussions about what actually matters. And mental that. health is one of the key tenets of what matters. I love that. I just love all of that. Um, I'm a big believer. <laughs> I am. I just love mission and vision statements because it does really focus you. And like, I love how you said, check yourself, right? Because, and sometimes I think you're right. Like we say, this is what our mission and vision is, but was it really what we're living and really what we believe in? Right. And so to have that sort of commonality to, to really say, like, if we believe this, then we need to do this or what do we need to do and, and ask those questions. So exactly. I, I love that. So, so let's I so tell the, me a little more. Okay, go ahead. I had the really wonderful privilege of doing action research. Mm -hmm. And I think that every educator should do action research. I did it through the international boys schools coalition. And that process really truly changed the way that I think and teach First of all, these constant checks and gathering mm -hmm. data, and I mean anecdotal data. I'm, I'm not someone who's so big on the numbers. I don't care about grades. I care about really having interviews with the students and conversations about what, what they're getting out of it, what their big takeaways are, what are the huge life lessons, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so action research became something that shifted how I seek feedback and check what I'm doing, um, okay. not just as a an educator for myself and for my team, but we do it for the students. So they are always reflecting and checking in on themselves. And that's mm. such an important part of the process because we go so fast in school. If you think about it, you know, you go from like bum, bum, one year to the next and yeah. you're so excited. And then did the kids have any time to pause and process and look at where they started and where they are and even reflect on their own growth or synthesize what it is that meant something to them. I love that. It's so, so funny because I'm actually doing a podcast. I think the next one I'm going to record is with Tori Gilbert and she, and it is about action research. She's actually presenting oh, at AATSP in Puerto Rico this week about uh, teachers doing action research. So um, it's, well, one of her teachers on her team, Floor Berman, who is oh, yes. a beautiful human being, she just presented at IBSC. She did action research and a head of a school came to her presentation and he said to me, language teachers have something. There's just something really special about the creativity and en energy that I've seen through language teachers in this coalition. And it's really true. We, we have something special. That's amazing. And it's so funny. I've never connected that, that Tori and Floor were at the same, in the same place. So that, that is, I mean, amazing people attract amazing people. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about you know, both your, your entry into this being such this, this, uh, positive mental well-being and, and mental health, um, being such an important, you know, factor in your teaching and your, in your team's, um, outlook on life, um, and teaching yeah. as well. You know, interestingly enough, I wanted to be a psychologist at first. <laughs> um, I double majored in college in Spanish and psychology and, I've always been fascinated by the way that our minds work and the way that our words that we say to ourselves impact our thoughts and that how that impacts our behavior and the ways in which we engage in the world. Um, what happened was I went to Spain because my Spanish was, eh, you know, 
not so hot. <laughs> so I went to Spain to really hone in on my Spanish. And I got a grant through the Spanish government to teach and fell madly in love with teaching. So that's why I ended up going into teaching. But to be very vulnerable and honest with you, I would say in my later 20s, I began to do really the work on myself. And I I started dancing, taking dance class again. And through dance class, I started learning about so many different thought leaders because the instructors mm-hmm. that I do class with, they really, they share such beautiful insights. And then I started doing so much more reflecting and journaling and reading. And I found Oprah Super Soul Conversations yeah. and I couldn't get enough. And then I did the Camino de Santiago, which is the pilgrimage across Northern Spain. And that shifted who I am as a human being. And on my way home, I listened to Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. And it was just, it was the universe telling me I had to listen to this and rewire everything in my life. And I did. And I found myself so much more fulfilled and so much happier that I would bring, you know, I don't believe in meetings, really. I love to use time with my department as workshops or just play connection or time to ideate, right? So I would bring snippets of podcasts or a passage that I've read. And through that, we all started developing our full and authentic whole selves. And we said, well, if this is impacting us in such a beautiful way, then this is what we need to be leading with, right? And through IBSC, they say for boys, the most important thing, and I, I would say this is likely for all human beings, is relational learning, right? You have to connect with the human being for them to really learn. And through all of the research that I've done with IBSC, I said to my team, you know, this is no longer team building for the first week of school. Like this has to be an intentional practice that we build throughout the entire school year. And it has to be constant. Um, and so we kind of revamped everything that we do and it's been remarkable. It really has. I love it. I just love it. And that's such a great, um, I think you're right. I, I, I'm a huge personal development as well as professional development kind of person, because I do think that that adds insight and balance and it's just as important as the pedagogy and all of the other stuff that that we learn on on how to teach right and so I love that you're bringing that into your curriculum and your teaching and your students and helping them be successful on many levels not just not just the language level but in their lives as well so I, I love that I think it's also really humanizing for students to connect with their teachers if you're on a similar path right if I will, I will say to my students, you know, I really struggle with negative self-talk and it's something that I'm working on and we're going to talk about how to take the negative and turn it into the positive and it's something that I have to practice. And when you can have real life conversations with your students like that, I mean, the buy-in is, it's there because they see you as a human being. I love that. And I think it's really, I think that's one of the most important parts of being an educator, especially in the world right now, right? Our students have, this is the thing, our students have access to everything with the internet. We don't need to impart so much content and knowledge in that way to them because it's all at their fingertips. We have to really help them 
get curious and learn to ask questions and listen and seek out stories so that they can practice perspective taking and, and know how to really get to know human beings. So I think I might have veered off track. No, there, that's but... that's fantastic. <laughs> but that leads us into, you know, we talked about um, a little bit earlier, just the state of the world and the state of being a teenager, right? And being a, being a person, honestly, and yeah. and talk a little bit about not even just during COVID or during the pandemic, but I think mm -hmm. it's been before that and it's after that as well. And a little bit of some of the stuff mm -hmm. that you've brought into, you know, your understanding of why this is so important for, um, for students, just for everybody, honestly. So Camilla Ituralde and I, she's one of my dearest friends and colleagues, we did our action research together and that was in 2018, so 2018 to 2019. And it was about fostering empathy in boys through storytelling. And we did tons of research. And before the pandemic, there was already what Dr. Michael Reichert calls an epidemic of anguish. Kids were really stressed out and it was manifesting in so many different ways. And we ended up focusing our work on bullying, but it, the stress that we put on, on our kids is, it's something that's been a problem for many, many years. And that was before the whole right. world flipped and turned upside right. down, right? And I think we don't even necessarily contemplate or consider when we're in a school, a school is our safe space. Hopefully it's been created to be a really safe space for adults, for students, for everyone to go. But I think that sometimes in creating that safe space, we forget where our students are coming from. So you don't know that if at the breakfast table, the news was on in the background and our kids are listening to another shooting or this is happening and there's a war going on. So they're being like constantly, constantly bombarded with so much that even if they're not really thinking about it, they're thinking about it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so we have to, we want to create a safe space, but we also have to consider the world at large. And the CDC just put out in April their new study, which was on high school students. And what honestly crushed my soul is that 44.2% said that they were persistently sad and hopeless. Ugh, that like just gave me shivers, right? I mean, I have, I, a, I have somebody in that age range, right? I mean, that is just, it is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. So we have to give our students the tools to work through the world that we put them in, right? It's not their fault that they're living in this world. They're actually our key to getting out of it. Right? <laughs> we need to, yeah. I mean, that's why we're all yeah. teachers, right? I think that's why during these really hard times, we, we still keep teaching because they're our hope. Mm -hmm. So if they are hopeless, then we need to turn it around. Yeah. <laughs> we really need to do a total reshift in everything because we need them, they need us and there's so much that we can do. So I really believe in teaching children about research, sharing the why behind what you're doing with them. And because first of all, they're going to buy in more if they understand that there's a reason behind what you're doing. But also, you know, let's not 
let's not shelter them too much. Like, let's say 44.2% of kids are feeling this way. None, we don't want any of you to feel this way. I want every single one of you to feel purposeful every single day, connected every single day, inspired, curious, like you have stuff to look forward to every single day. And as language teachers, this is all communication. Right. Everything that we can we do can be through this lens, right? Now, I think also I'm an advisor and the work through advisory has very much painted the work through language teaching as well, but it goes hands in hands. And in fact, a student once said to the Spanish, they call us the Spanish team, which I That's love. That's awesome. Oh, the Spanish, you know, they're never, they never say Senorita Spielberg, oh, the Spanish team, the Spanish department, because they see us as a unit. But they said, the Spanish team, you, besides advisory, this is the only place in Spanish class where we get to speak about how we feel. That's right? powerful. So they need it. Yeah. They want it. They just need the opportunity to pause process and connect. So we have the, we have the ability to do so. So a lot of the research was also about stress and anxiety, which we've all felt. And obviously COVID exacerbated it so much. So I went into a deep dive on stress. <laughs> um, and for the last few years, I've done a lot of work with my students, both in advisory and in Spanish about what stress does to our bodies, how we can recognize our stress signals, and then different strategies to work through it. So I'm not an expert. I do not have a degree. Right. I do not have, I'm not a psychologist, but I am a very curious person. And I would love to share some of the, the things I found about stress because it's helped me as well. I love it. Thank you. Please do. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to read a little bit off of notes just because I don't want to mess any of this up since it's not my field of expertise, but it totally fascinates me. So we know that Stress is really important. We all need to feel stress because let's say there's a fire alarm that goes off. You need to run out of the door. You need to use your adrenaline for fight or flight so that you can escape a harmful situation or a possibly dangerous situation. But what's happening right now is that, and that's supposed to be 30 minutes, right? A 30 minute fight or flight. But what's happening now is that it's as if that fire alarm has been going off for not just a week, not just a month. It's honestly been, I mean, I'm sure you can yeah. close your eyes and think back, two and a half years. The fire alarm has not gone off in two and a half years. So we don't even know when it's going to end. So we are completely in a state of cortisol running through our bodies, which is the stress hormone. And so we need stress, but what's happening now is it's, it's exceeding our capacity, right? Our demand for it is just too much. Um, and we're having a really hard time slowing down. I don't know about you, but I, I go through these ups and downs in during the pandemic. I don't want to say post. No, I know. No, I it. don't even know anymore. What to even, how to even describe any of this, right? Everybody's <laughs> oh, but it's, but I have gone through moments of insane stress that my body is telling me, like I've become a teeth grinder mm. <laughs> in my sleep. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I'm waking up in the morning with oh. just such tight, tightly locked jaw. And it's because I'm stressed. I feel it in my body in different ways. Um, and it's really important for our students to be able to, and for ourselves, to be able to identify how we feel stressed. It's not all the same, so right? All these... No. Well, there are four oh, good. different well, types interesting. of stress. Okay. 
That's awesome. Tell me, I'm like, I'm like super excited and like ready to like jump the gun here. <laughs> there's emotional stress. Well, there's more than four different yeah, types that I'm talk going to talk about. So, and this was from, I found this on the Center on Great Teachers and Leaders at the American Institutes for Research. So there's emotional stress, there's behavioral stress, there's physical stress. That's what I was just talking about. And there's cognitive stress. I also have that. <laughs> I was going to say. Hmm. So, um, the, check, the check, flags, check, check. The signals that you want to. I'm like, actually, of all of them, I'm just trying to add to Chloe right now. Um, if you have emotional stress, you might feel irritable or restlessness, maybe quick temper, um, agitated, or perhaps apathetic, right? Um, be, and there are many different ways that this can manifest. I'm mm -hmm. just giving you a handful. Behavioral stress can be shown in procrastination or perhaps withdrawal. You can see some aggression um, with teenagers. You see a lot of changed levels of activity, um, substance abuse. There's physical stress, and that's one of my biggest telltale signs, sleep mm. disturbances. If you're bored at 2 or 3 in the morning, you can just text me. <laughs> you're not up. sleeping. <laughs> Oh. No, headaches, um, digestive issues, fatigue, heart racing, and then there's cognitive stress, which is confusion or racing thoughts, increased worry, um, memory problems. So I think a lot of us have experienced a lot of this throughout the pandemic and also just as teachers, right. let's be honest, being a teacher is an extremely stressful job. So it's important to be able to identify what your stress signals are so that you know how to then work mm -hmm. through them, right? Um, and we have to help our students figure those out. Now, stress manifests differently in, differently in different ages. So younger children and elementary school children tend to feel particularly stressed by things that happen at home. So let's say there's family fighting going on or um, if there's economic uncertainty, we know that right now food insecurity is one of the biggest problems nationally that we're having. So that would really, that would come up a lot for a student, a child. And research shows that when the parents are more right. stressed or showing stress, so children produce higher levels of stress hormones. Yeah. And when our younger kids, so younger kids are, let's say, let's go K through five, when they're particularly stressed, um, irritability really starts to show up. And they, what happens is their emotions fully hijack their thoughts and responses. And I think we see that a lot. I've seen it in my students this year. They, the emotion regulation piece is much more difficult for them. Um, but then with our teenage students, and also what you'll see with the, the younger, I was going to say guys, oh. <laughs> the younger students will see tantrums or meltdowns, um, aggressive behavior with the littlest ones. And then the older ones, you might see nail biting, or perhaps you're going to see more fidgeting. So those are things that teachers and parents can look out for in the, in the child to help them identify that You know, it's stressor. interesting when you and say that really quick. I've heard a lot about, mm -hmm. you know, just the behavioral sort of things that have come up in the last year, you know, and a lot of times I hear it attributed to like out of habit, like, like they, they've lost their, you know, grit or their resistance, resilience and things like that. And I've never really heard it attached to stress, like chronic stress. And I, I think that is really uh, interesting and important to, to consider. So 
Thank you. Uh, yeah. You know, everyone, I'm going to go that's off okay. on that's what... here, but everyone talks about language. That's what we do here. <laughs> People are going to be like, what is the... What is the topic of this language? <laughs> um, so people talk about learning loss. And I wish mm-hmm. that we would stop saying that and reframe it because our students just have a different skill set now than our generations yeah. do. Like, Think about their capacity to be flexible. Think about their capacity to face uncertainty, right? They're there are so many more things that they are going to have that will help them be successful and happy in their lives that we didn't have to necessarily mm-hmm. all face. So I just wish we could reframe this narrative of loss, 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 because the more we say it also, you know, it doesn't surprise me that kids feel mm-hmm. hopeless because all we talk about right. is loss. You know, why aren't we talking about the opposite side? What have we gained? And we have gained so mm-hmm. much through this. We've gained an appreciation for connectedness in a way that we took for granted before. We've gained so much gratitude that we didn't have before. And my students talk about it all the time, how grateful they are mm-hmm. to be in school. We've, we've gained a lot. So I just wish we could flip the script. And I think that would help with stress because we know that what yeah, we say becomes. in our minds and the ways in which we speak to our students directly relate to our stress levels. That does connect to adolescents. So kids, let's say 12 to 18 years old, they get more stressed. Obviously what happens at home is very stressful to them, but more so are their situations connected to friendships. Um, They really need to be able to be with one another and connect with one another. Um, That's their biggest outlet. And I'm going to talk about that after we talk about different stress and how to help our students cope with it. But connection and friendship is something that is, I believe, at the core of what we should be doing in schools, especially moving out of this pandemic. We have to help nurture friendships and relationships because that's going to be the key to happiness for our students. Should I backtrack a little bit to this amazing woman named Sonia Lupien? She, I had the pleasure of hearing her speak. She's a stress researcher out of Canada. And she created something that she calls the recipe for stress. And the recipe for stress, she says, don't go nuts with stress, N-U-T-S. So N is for novelty. It's something you have never experienced before. U is for unpredictability. So something you had no way of knowing. I can see where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) E is for threat to the Mm. ego. So your confidence as a is called into question and s is sense of control (laughs) so you feel like you have little or no control in a situation so she has this phenomenal program where she helps students de-stress by she calls it deconstructing your stress one element at a time and imagine a table and students chart what is stressing them out and they put check marks if it's because of novelty, uncertainty, threat to the ego, sense of control. And they start to see the patterns of their own stress, right? So then you work with them through that. So, okay, something that's stressing you out is you don't feel in control. These are the the different situations that really made you feel stressed out. So let's talk about this. What is in your locus of control? How can we reframe the way that you're thinking about this? So you're able to really help them help themselves. That is fantastic. Like I'm sitting there like thinking right in my mind right now, I'm making a little table, right? And I'm, I'm like, you know, cause I don't even think <laughs> us as adults really deconstruct what it is. Like we, 
I blow up and I had a really bad day yesterday and this is what happened. And I don't sit there and really have a framework to think about that and to, Mm -hmm. you know, really process like, what is that? Because you can't do anything about it if you can't really identify what it is that's causing it. Right. And there might be multiple things. Right. But I, I love that. And Absolutely. as a teacher I right mean, now, I mean, I mean if, it, if teachers get nothing but that out of this conversation, because again, we do have all of these stresses, our students have these stresses, you know, all of this is, is happening, but I love that that is a really concrete way to think about it or to start thinking about it. So that's great. Well, and she is phenomenal and everything that they do is for free. And there are tons of resources that you could pull off the internet to use in your classrooms, translate them to the language that you're teaching and help your students work through. I mean, if you think about that, that's a great communicative activity. You know, it's writing, reading, everything. And you can use high frequency vocabulary and you can, I like to um, curate or parse out the vocabulary through the students. I'm not the type to give a list. I'll Mm -hmm. say, this is what we're gonna talk about. What words do we need for this? and start charting, you know, what kind of verbs are we going to need for this? Or what else, what emotion mm-hmm. words do you think are going to be really necessary here? Talk and turn as a table, come up with a list, then let's go throw them on the board. And then we have just tons of vocabulary for students to use to be able to express themselves through this important, important I love work. it. Thank you. And we can, we'll put now, that in the show notes What you're too. saying is, is, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And if you want to bring a speaker into your school, anyone who's listening, I highly suggest Sonia Lupian. She's phenomenal. Um, But what you were, you were talking about is really stress resilience and we need to help build stress resilience both in ourselves and in our students. I used to have, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like thinking back to when I first started teaching and I did not have any. I was what is on the spectrum as unaware. So I didn't know how stress was affecting myself and I was easily hijacked by my emotions. Um, I became short tempered mm-hmm. or I would cry. Stress made me immediately cry, which interestingly enough, I, I learned that when you cry, your body's actually releasing the stress hormone from your body. So it's a natural yeah. reaction and it's a good way to get the hormone out of your body. But I mean, it's a little <laughs> right. more professional at work to be crying all the time. <laughs> So luckily I'm no longer (laughs) unaware, but then you move through the spectrum. So you go from unaware to aware. So now you start understanding, and we want our students to be able to do this, start understanding how stress works and be able to identify it in yourself and in others, right? But when you're aware, you still might lose control of your emotions because you want to then take it to the next step, which is self-regulate. And there you can identify your stress in yourself and know how it works in the body, but then also maintain steady emotions, even during your distress, which is not easy. Right. <laughs> easy to read off the slide, <laughs> yes. hard to practice. And the final stage would be self-maintain. And that's having a deep understanding of your own stress levels and proactively, which is what I want us to help our students with, proactively manage stress and practice strategies to maintain calm. And I learned about this from Resilience Online. That's awesome. So you're probably thinking, okay, so now what, right? And there's so much more that's fascinating to me, but I will not go too into it about how amygdala, you know, communicates with the hippocampus. It's fascinating what happens in our brains without us even knowing. But when you learn it and you can really understand, like during the pandemic, I was having major word recall Mm -hmm. problems 
I, I could not think of words. And it was obviously all stress related. I also was feeling like I couldn't, I couldn't really react as mm-hmm. fast as I would. I don't know how to really explain what I'm talking about, but I was I was overreacting mm-hmm. and under responding to things. So it was like my emotions were huge, but then my problem solving was not as fast as it usually is. And that's all because of the way stress impedes learning and the way our brains work. So, yeah, no, and and <laughs> it, you know, there is a strong connection. You don't, you know, even without going into all the details, we know there's a strong connection between learning and stress, which kind of brings us to that this is not just, not only is this a life skill and, 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 you know, something that can really deeply affect and change the course of your students' lives by helping them be aware and, and regulate and all of that, but it is connected to learning strongly as well, because that, that stress does block all of that beautiful input, all of that, you know, all of that stuff that you want to have them experience, right? Exactly. So I think that our charge as educators is to help our students develop coping strategies. And if you are into research or you're nerdy like me, you can look up Lazarus's Mm -hmm. model of stress and there's adaptive coping strategies and maladaptive coping strategies. So we'll go to maladaptive and um, I'll just throw out a few because I'm sure that we can relate to a little recognize bit. some of them. I was just, I can call this lockdown. <laughs> so during the lockdown, I was definitely experiencing a lot of this. Um, numbing to relieve negative emotions, taking out frustration on others, um, self-criticism, fixed mindset, blaming, um, there are a lot of different ways that we mal we we cope with stress in a way that is not really helpful to us at all. In fact, it just exacerbates our stress. Um, what we and this is the thing: stress is so important, and we don't want to avoid it or remove it for our students. They need it. It it helps build their neural pathways. It helps build their resilience. But we need to help them figure out adaptive coping strategies. So there are two imagined branches. There are problem-focused strategy skills, and then there are emotion-focused strategy skills. So we have to help our students identify whether a situation is changeable, that means it's problem-focused, or unchangeable, and then it's emotion-focused. So for example, a problem-focused strategy skill would be seeking advice or asking for help coming up with a plan and backwards planning, mm-hmm. um, time management skills, right? But then an unchangeable situation would be emo- emotion-focused skills. And for me, so the problem-focused strategy skills are very much what I do in my advisory, a lot of that work. The emotion-focused skills are much more what we do as a Spanish department. So helping students to express their emotions and then validating it, right? Um, teaching the importance of reframing, right? So reframing the way in which you're thinking about something. Engaging in physical activity is a really great strategy skill. Using humor, practicing gratitude and forgiveness, seeking help, trying to help students accept the situation, um, showing them what is in their control rather than what's not in their control. So these are the things that we embed as skills in all of the units that we do. I love it. That's, a, that. I just love it. I just think that it's so, and it's just, to me, it's like an amplifier to everything now 
else that you do. All of the other language specific stuff that you do is just going to be much more effective and is going to be amplified by the work that you're doing, you know, with these human beings that are in your classroom, right? Exactly. And I love starting every class with something that has to do with these kind of coping strategies, because, you know, if you think of the, a day in the life of a student, we get so into our own classes. We're so pumped or we like have an agenda and we know what we want to do, but do we ever really think, stop and think, where is this child coming from? You know, sometimes a kid can start the day in an advisory. They feel amazing in advisory. They're like, I love these people. And this is my, like, this is my community. And then they go into their science class and they do an experiment that lights them up, but maybe then they go into the next class and they get back a, a test grade and the test grade knocks them out, right? They're so devastated. They can't shake it. And then they're in the hallway and maybe they have a scuffle with a friend and then they go into your class right. and you're like, okay, <laughs> today I can. Do you have right. a pencil? Do you just but hello, we need to let them be calm and breathe into the space that we're creating for them to learn. Right. So I'm going to give you just a couple of some of the things that we do to start our classes. And interestingly enough, my boys in their reflections at the end of the year referenced these without me asking them what they liked or what they wanted more of. They they spoke about the transition and the way that we start class. So I'll give you I'm looking through. I'm like, what are my favorite ones that I want to talk about? Um, nature videos. <laughs> I love, I did an entire unit this year, Camilla and I did it on the five senses and about really tapping into your five senses. So we would have, I'll say we did all different things, but one thing is you play a nature video and they come into class and they sit down and every day they're started with think of a graphic organizer with the five senses and you have your sentence starters and for five straight minutes, it is silent and they are watching beautiful nature videos. And they're talking about what they see, what they can smell if they close their eyes, what they're hearing, what they think they would be able to taste if they were there, um, what they're smelling. And it calms them so much. And you cannot imagine the rich vocabulary that That's comes great. out of it, right? It's, phenomenal. And when I did the nature video activity this year, one of the boys said to me, can we just keep it on for a little longer? And then the rest of them were like, yeah, this is amazing. This is like the first time that we've had quiet in the day. Right. <laughs> that you don't boys. think. Right? <laughs> I had not, that quiet is not exactly the word you normally would think that they would want. Right. That's a great. No, but they loved it. They they needed it. And they were so proud to see how much vocabulary they were getting and how they were expressing themselves. Um, and it was really, really great for them. And, you know, you could take that to, I, I'm in New York City, so we they <laughs> shut the street down. <laughs> That's like our playground. Yeah. So you could take it to the street, you know, and bring it outside, take it to the park, go for a walk around the block, but really give them that time to process their five senses because mindfulness is so important. And if students are able to get present and force themselves to stay present by tapping into their five senses, they can really lower the stress response that's happening in their body at any time. And when we do this work, I tell them, this is a great strategy for when you're really angry, you're going to like flip and you're afraid about what you're going to say. This is a great strategy before a test. 
this is a great strategy when you're feeling anxious about something. So I'll go English when I talk about things like that because I think it's so important, but I want to always give them a why behind it. What was really fun with this unit is we did um, lenguaje florecido. We did, um, I can't think of the words <laughs> in English, but um, does that happen? Metaphor, metaphor, simile, um, onomatopoeia, all of those different language devices. And they use That's them in great. their five senses and the writing that they did. And it was how creative too, they just a spot it. for them to be creative with the language. Right. And, and really pick the, ah, I love that. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so five senses highly suggest. Also, if you could bring things in that awaken their senses, right? Um, blindfolds, smell tests, and, you know, having them close their eyes and listen to certain sounds. There's a lot of great YouTube videos, guess the sounds, just because it's important for them to get present and listen and actively tune in. So those, those are good brain breaks, but they're also great ways to start the class. Um, there's something that's called brain gym. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's, I did not get trained in it and I would love to get trained in it, but it gives you all of these different exercises that you can do with students and it tells you when to use it with them. So if you wanna focus students' attention and you want them to really listen to directions or instructions, there are specific movements that you do with them, you know? Yeah, I, I was just gonna say, I know somebody I talked well. to had mentioned that. I think early laying, it is much more common, but again, it's a very helpful, um, you know, device, tool, strategy, whatever you want to call it for any age, right? So I think that's great. No, I mean, listen, do you ever go to a conference and you're back to back to back and there's no movement built into anything and you just start to like mm -hmm. completely wither and fade? Because yeah. we're just all humans. We need exactly the same things. We need silliness. We need laughter. We need humor. We need play. We need movement, right? I love when I train adults awesome. and I bring Play-Doh. They, they light up because we need to play and we need, we need the same things kids need. So I definitely suggest if you like this to go and check out brain gym exercises. Um, an easy, you know, you can always do color by part of speech, you know, a calming activity like that, or you can do different stress related releasing activities such as paced breathing or muscle relaxation. And this is all, you're going mm -hmm. to be narrating this in the target language. So they're getting so much input from it, but they're also learning strategies to really cope with what's going on in the world. There are, I love something that is, <laughs> it's quite ridiculous, but um, it's called laughter yoga. When you laugh, it lowers your blood pressure and it lowers your stress hormone, which is cortisol, right? So there's something called laughter Me yoga. Me doing yoga is pretty funny. So is that the same thing? <laughs> it's, it's not the same thing. Okay. You will Google it, look at a YouTube video, and you're, it's going to be unlike anything you expected. It's not doing downward dog and, and giggling. It's doing all different kinds of laughs. And it's just ridiculous and silly, but it gets you to really breathe from your diaphragm, which releases so much of your tension. And laughter is contagious, right? So I'm not, smiling right now, just thinking about it. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and then imagine you're just passing, like, oh, 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 and the kids are following you, and then you're like, hee, hee, hee. so they love That's it, so and great. it's so good for them. And it's something that I like to do before an assessment, right? Obviously, Julie is amazing with all of the deep breathing and, you know, the 
breathe in like the infinity sign and you have them trace their fingers, breathe in, breathe out. Those are great strategies. That's Julie Spino. Yep. Um, you can do That's something. That's Julie Spino, Mundo de Pepita. <laughs> yes. Mundo de Pepita. I love her. She's like glowing human being. Uh, then you want to teach them grounding exercises. So the five senses is a grounding exercise, which roots you and calms your body. It calms your whole system. So the five, four, three, two, one would be the senses. Five things I see, four things I taste. And I do this with my students when they're off the walls, which I usually create because I'm doing laugh yoga. At least you can admit it, right? And I'm like, oh man, that's backfired. Let me calm down. No, I know. I'm like controlled chaos at its best. Um, but you can do something called rainbow room. This is completely target language. Sit quietly, breathe deeply, notice what's around you and find something from every color on the rainbow, right? Or mental memory game. I want you to focus on everything that's on this desk right now. And you want to take a screenshot in your mind, right? And study it. Where does everything belong? This is like, you can do this with prepositions of place. You can do this with colors, shapes, sizes, and then close your eyes and see what you can remember. And then have them reproduce that in the language. But doing that kind of game where it's really sustains focus and attention calms the body mm -hmm. and it gets them out of any loop that's going on in their heads. So that's really good before something that you would imagine would be stressful. Um, I have so many different things, but I really want to get to building connections and relationships. What I will focus on mm -hmm. is journaling. <laughs> And I think that a lot of people know about the Ling Chat Gratitude Challenge that we started at Alan Stevenson. And it's a month-long challenge. Um, every day, it increases in rigor, but also in vulnerability. So day one of the challenge would be a book you're grateful for, a food you're grateful for, a member of the family. So the basics. But as you level up, you're going to go into more vulnerable things, a memory that I'm grateful for, um, something that made me think in a different way that I'm grateful for, a positive affirmation that I'm grateful for because it helps me when I'm stuck, or a time I asked for help that I'm grateful for, you know, something that put me out of my comfort zone that I'm grateful for. So the gratitude writing is really spectacular. Um, and my students really crave it and they love it. And so through that, they had always said to us, and again, remember, <laughs> I'm teaching boys and we teach gratitude K through eight. Now this year I taught third and eighth grade. So I'm going to focus on eighth grade for a moment. But they said to me, can we please do a lot more of this kind of writing? which is when the five senses came in and then photo del dia. So I would give a picture of the day and they would have to really hone in on the five senses there and write about what they're seeing. Um, and then I did something that I really loved this year called frase del dia. And I took quotes from all of the thought leaders that That's inspire great. me. <laughs> Not to be selfish, but I was like, let's get into what I love and then I'm going to use it with you. So this was through a unit that I mm. wrote about Ted Lasso. I love I Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, have you? Oh, literally the best show ever and talk about social emotional yeah. learning, right? incredible. I was like, there's no way that I'm not writing a unit on Ted Lasso. But of course, I had to ask permission first because it was eighth grade boys. Every parent was like, genius, this is an amazing idea. You That's know, great. like we're going to watch it with our kid. So I wanted to root them in all of these different big ideas. Now, before I even get to that, there's a lot of mental health benefits to journaling. You know, we know it reduces anxiety. 
It creates awareness. It really helps with emotion regulation. It encourages students to open up. And there are even researchers that think it might speed up physical healing. So they had these college students do, um, there were like two cohorts, right? So one, they just had them journal about whatever was happening. And then another one, they had them journal about stressful events that were happening in their lives. And the students who journaled about stressful events rather than just any old topic, they got sick less That's than the students who just journaled about whatever. I thought it was so interesting. So what I would give them was a quote of the day. And I'll give you a couple of them so that you can see how these are really human centered. And now I gave the quote in English mm -hmm. because these are really deep concepts. And the charge for the boys, for my students was take the quote, put it in your own words in Spanish, reflect on what it means and connect it to yourself, right? What do you think of this? Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? And then can you connect it with a real life example from yourself? So this was about a 15 to 20 minute quiet writing time. And I always had, you know, vocabulary building that we parsed as a class. So my first one was Oprah Winfrey. Don't be confused between what people say you are and who you know you are. Huge, right? Mm -hmm. um, I love Simon Sinek. He says, we can't all be good at everything. This is partly the logic behind having a team in the first place. So each role can be filled with the person best suited for that role. And together, every job and every strength is covered. How important is that for our students to understand? Because part of their stress is the perfectionism and thinking they need to be all things and everything. And that's not the way the world really is. I, none of us could be mm -hmm. all things. If I didn't have my team, I'd be nothing, right? I mean, we need each other and we all have different strengths. So I want to help students see theirs and see one another's and lift one another up through all of that and work together. Um, a couple extras I'll, I'll share with you. Um, this one I love, James Clear, Atomic Habits. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs. But as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. So you can only imagine That's the amazing. rich conversations. And just a reminder, this. this is in the target right? language so, that they are writing. And, you know, like this is real Completely. language, meaningful, authentic, you know, important to them, mm -hmm. um, you know, much more right. so than some of the right. scenarios that we come up with that, that don't tag into, you know, or really, you know, help students really benefit their life. Right. So that's amazing. That's great. Exactly. And when you want to get in, you want to take it from just the self to the we, and you're going to move into mm -hmm. your diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work, yeah. then the quotes shift, right? So we have Don Miguel Ruiz. We make all sorts of assumptions because we don't have the courage to ask questions. So let's talk about that. Or John Steinbeck said, I wonder how many people I have looked at all my That's life great. I've never seen. And then you talk to students about this. I just um, listened, I, I got to listen to a keynote by David Brooks. And everybody's talking about the epidemic of loneliness. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's true. Even in the UK and Japan, they've wow. appointed ministers of loneliness, right? That's how big the problem is. But he reframed it, and I thought it was fascinating, as the epidemic of blindness, because we can't see each other anymore. <laughs> and to me, I was like, wow, that is absolutely what is happening right now. We wow. cannot see one another. So we have to help our students see. So I'm... 
going to go from stress and journaling is one of the ways that we work through it, but I'm going to take it from stress to friendship because research shows, and we know as human beings that we need our friends. In fact, there's something called the stress buffer hypothesis. And that says that even when we're experiencing quite extreme stress, even if it's chronic, if we feel socially supported, our bodies will trigger the release of the feel-good hormone, which is oxytocin. And so our friends act as a stress buffer. But what's even more fascinating, and this is the work of Dr. Heidi Hanna, she said that, well, I'm not sure if it's her work or if she was referencing it, but she said that new studies are showing that even when we have the stress hormone, cortisol, going through our bodies, that usually would break us down, right? But with the addition of oxytocin, they call that the love hormone, but that's the connection hormone. What science is showing now is that it actually starts to build us up and it creates these neural pathways in the brain that allow us to be more adaptable. So it's so important that we help nourish friendships and relationships to help our students work through stress, but also because they deserve to have a really happy life. And I don't know if you ever listened to the 80-year, the TED Talk about the 80-year study on happiness, but Robert Waldinger did this study. Well, he's in charge of it now. It's been happening forever. And let me remember where it takes place. Mm -hmm. I think it's at the Harvard, it's at Harvard, the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And they have researched, they took two cohorts of men, and this was in the 30s, right? 1939 um, through 1944 was the first cohort. So they took a group of participants from Harvard, and they were from, they were about a little under 300 Caucasian men from the Harvard class. So you can imagine that they were, they had, you know, wealth, they had opportunity, they had lots of experiences um, and lots at their fingertips, right? And they studied them against a, a cohort of men from Boston, from inner city Boston. And they compared them to one another. And throughout their lives, they did all of these interviews for anecdotal evidence. And they also had, you know, they also did lots of surveys, but what they found is, and these men went on to be so many different things and types of people. They were married. They were not married. They had kids. They didn't have kids. They became plumbers. They became lawyers. One became the president of the United States, you know, like the gamut. And what they found, despite everything that you would imagine is the one thing that really mattered was relationships. So the, what they said is the good life is built with good relationships. And I believe that that is so true. And I would love for educators to start thinking about their why. Now, when I started as a language teacher, and I'm not obviously not a native Spanish um, speaker, so my why was make them fall in love with language. And it's still my why. <laughs> I still want them to be madly in love with it. But it's my secondary why. Um, there's a bigger purpose, right? And if I can help them create a really happy life and redefine what success means for them, win-win. <laughs> I mean, I would be exactly. So I think that we need to start thinking about what do we really want our students to take away from our courses and our schools? What future are we setting them up for, right? How are we defining success for them so that they can actually live a really happy life? You know, it's an interesting 
an interesting task to say to your students, why do you come to school? And to hear why they think they come to school. Because what would be an incredible shift for me is if at the beginning of eighth grade, when my students have to place into their next schools, I would not imagine, I would imagine that their answers would be to get into the next school so that I could get into the right college so that I can get a good job because then I'll be happy, right? And I understand that that mentality and that pressure because that is the population that I'm that I'm teaching. But what would be the ultimate success for me is if after being in my eighth class, they said, I come to school for my friends. I come to school for the teachers. I come to school for the relationships that I have here because that's what I really that's want beautiful. them to take away. So I do a lot of work on building friendships um, and it starts with a really strong classroom culture and bringing your authentic self to Spanish class every single day. And the thing I say that we say to our students is we care about you more as human beings than we do as Spanish students. Mean it, and yeah. we have to show them that we actually really mean that. So there are, I'm going to give a couple of activities that I think people maybe would want to start their school year with. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this comes out in the summer and it gives kind yeah. of just tool, like a little toolkit. So We like to, we share our mission and our vision with our students because we believe in sharing our why, but we also want them to buy into it. So everything we hope for them and for our program might not be what they want for themselves. So we share our mission and then we take, we copy and paste it into what's called blackout poetry, a blackout poetry maker, and they get to black out the words that are not that important to them. And then they create their own blackout poem through our vision and mission about what their why is for the year. And that's so important for us to know, but it's also really important for them to know that what they want to get out of this, they will get out of it. Like, let's set a goal for the big ideas that you want to get out. Um, I would also recommend, I'm not going to go into this because it's too complicated to explain on a podcast, but check out John Meehan. He has, it's called Ed Renalin Rush. And it's about gamifying school and he gamifies the syllabus and it's a great way to start the year um, because it gets them just so amped up and so excited. In David Brooks's speech in his keynote, he said, if you burn with enthusiasm, I love people that. will come for miles to see the fire. <laughs> That's great. I loved it. I loved it because I was like, yeah. what a great way to start the year, right? Burn with enthusiasm and they will come. But then once you really create these fun connections and they have their why, you want them to start understanding that you care about who they are, right? So I will ask my students, you know, what lights you up? What makes you smile? What could you not live without? What makes you you? And every day in the beginning of the year, we have a pregunta del día. So those are the kinds of questions that you can ask for your question of the day so that you really get to know who your students are authentically. And then obviously after they write and they have time to get confident because I always let them write before they speak, especially in the beginning of the year, I circle them up. I have a ball and we do pasa la pelota and everybody is throwing the ball and sharing their answers, but they're also actively listening and they're paying attention to who has gone and who hasn't gone. And at the end, you want to say to them, like, what did you hear? What did you learn about somebody else in the class? What similarities? What did you find that made you curious? Because you want to help them become active listeners. That's a really important friendship building skill. 
Um, we do a lot of team building in the beginning of the year that allows them to show who they are without the really hugely added stress mm -hmm. of speaking en español right away. So Play-Doh, like I said, I'll do it with adults, but I'll do it with even my eighth grade boys. You know, I give them prompts and they show their answer that way. Or you've probably seen the index card challenge. It's a STEAM challenge and students, it's a conversational activity. So students get to, they want to build the tallest tower with their index cards, but the only way that they get them is through conversation. So they have to talk with their partner and find things they have in common in the target <laughs> language. And then they run up to me and they're like, no school la pizza. And I'm like, ole, give them a card. And they write no school la pizza. And they're building the tallest tower and they're so engaged. They're speaking in Spanish. My little guys do oh, this too. Great. And I do it with Legos with them. So they come to me and they get five Legos every time they find <laughs> something in common. But then I'll say, dime mas. Tell me more. And then they ask each other more follow-up questions. Okay, you like pizza. What's your favorite restaurant? And they come back like, his favorite restaurant is. And I'm like, ah, increíble. And then I give them 10 Legos. So they're asking questions. They're digging deeper. And they're connecting with one another. You can also do six-word stories. I love six-word stories. If you go to, um, I think it's sixwordmemoir.com. It'll show you different examples, but we allow our students to try to synthesize who they are into six words. And they write tons of them. They pick their favorites that they think really show who they are. And then they're going to create a visual that accompanies that. Um, I don't know if you know who George Kuros is, but he wrote mm -hmm. a book called Innovator's Mindset. And this is not just in the Spanish class. This would be school-wide. And I think that I think that language teachers <laughs> are like the heart of schools and should be, <laughs> because I think we really so I encourage everyone listening, even if you're not in administration, go forward and do this. It's called Identity Day. Identity Day is like drop everything and read, but it's drop everything and be who you are. And what you say to everybody in the community, I'm talking from people on maintenance to people in the kitchen, like everybody, because we are a whole community. I give you three hours to think of exactly what makes you you and create something that shows it. It's a lot of free time, a lot of flexible time. They use found materials to create all these beautiful pieces of art or digital. I mean, kids really get to show who they are through any means that they want. So you'll see people bring in things about their culture. Um, they'll create like, a student might create like a bowl and it has frijoles, like beans and rice and how this is a part of who they are and every day in their home. And then I had somebody make um, a basketball hoop he, because he loves basketball and they actually put it on the door and all year every kid was <laughs> slam dunking on my door through his basketball hoop or somebody made a teacher loves clothing and she made a little <laughs> clothing, a tiny clothing rack with little pieces of clothing that she decorated. I had students trace me in a dancing position and I put pictures of myself and my grandma who was a dance teacher. You know, so you really get to know each other as a community and then you gallery walk. And you, you see who every single person is in your community because identity matters and who each person is really, really matters. And you want people to feel that from the very beginning of the school year and of your class. I, right? I just have who to say, I just love that. Like and I'm sitting here, I work from home. I have a wonderful you know team that I see on Zoom, but I'm just, how what a joy you must feel to just go to work and be able to connect with other people in this way. I mean, it's just, I'm, I am 
jealous, happy, jealous, you know, like, like, it's an amazing, like, what an amazing, well, now, don't you, I mean, I can here. imagine teachers out there just feeling the joy you must feel, like, being part of this, and thinking, you know, like, I, I, I hope that it's contagious, right? I hope they're, they're listening to you catch fire and are getting excited about it, because, it really is just <laughs> very much more than even just inspirational. It's it's just really like you said. It's part of our human nature to want to be a part of this and to be able to create that in a place that you go to work every day. How great! How great is that? Right. Yeah. And imagine the like the vibrancy, like the vibration of everyone in the building. Music's blasting in all these different classrooms. Kids are able to be in the hallway. They could go into one another's rooms because they're literally scavenging for materials because they have to use found materials. And <laughs> it's just chaos, but I it is it. like creativity abounds. So it just when everybody's wow. feeling creativity at the same time. I love it. I, yeah, it's that like, is. <laughs> is that a word? I'm like, the you know what I mean? It's incredible. So that's something that I yeah. hope language lead. What do we say? Lead with languages. I hope that we lead with languages. Language teachers are bringing the importance of belonging to every single school because I think that I'm generalizing here, but I think that we get it. I think that people that go into teaching languages get how important belonging is, how important communication is, how important it is to make everybody feel seen, known heard, cared for, loved. So I think that we can be yeah. uh, the, the yeah. cheerleaders in, in our schools. And, and it's important, and it's important for our schools to understand the value of language education. And this is a way to get buy-in yeah. for it. And then imagine the follow-up lessons you can have in Amazing. Spanish with what your students have created. So I, and when we talk about identity, I will add that we do identity day, but we do identity every single day, right? We want our students to show up who, as themselves every single day in a safe community. We teach inclusive language. We talk about every different walk of life. We want to show up for our students. We want them to understand that they can come as they are. Um, and that's really important. And I know there's a lot of back and forth on gender inclusive language. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's a non-negotiable because you can't pretend that you care about students being their authentic selves and that that means something to you if you don't include everybody in your work. Um, so that's something that is very, very important to what we do. You know, we also do what I wish my, my teacher knew, but first we start with what I wish my students knew and we really share with them. You know, I say to them, sometimes I have the tendency to be really hard on myself and I put myself down. It's something I'm working on. My dance teachers taught me to use positive self-talk and I hope I can do that for you. And you know, when students mm -hmm. give the, the signal that means same, the heads are nodding and the signals are going off. And then what they share in return after you're really open and vulnerable with them is remarkable. And they share things from silly, <laughs> like I loved this one. My dog takes very big poops and it usually takes two bags to pick it up, but he's the cutest dog ever and he can't be beaten in a beauty contest to students talking about losing a parent or a divorce or students talking about the way they learn, right? I had a student say, I have a sensory problem where I feel and touch things to learn about them. And this means I fidget with my hands a lot. And I had a student say to me, I have ADD. I get in trouble a lot. 
you know, learning that in the beginning of the year, you better believe I'm building those kids up so hard. I'm going to be their number one cheerleader. And it's because, and this is all in English. What I wish my teacher knew and what I wish my students knew, we do completely in English. So that takes us to, you know, you've built a strong community and you have the connections, but we also want to help empower our students to work on friendships. So there's a lot of different skill building that it, car it actually corresponds beautifully to language learning. So yeah. asking questions, active listening, um, expressing beliefs and opinions, agreeing to disagree, um, conflict resolution, communicating with clarity, recognizing and regulating your emotions, right? So we do a ton of work that builds these relational skills through the target language. So simple activities are like that question of the day, but we'll do conversation of the day and it's four or five different questions and they're going around the room and talking to one another and they're actively listening because they have mm -hmm. to share not about themselves after, they have to share about what they heard and then they have to connect it to something that they've felt or they've experienced. We do a lot of mood meter check-ins in the target language. You know, we want to teach mm -hmm. our boys, our students, sorry, to say, to not just ask, how right. are you? as like a, hey, what's up? But to really ask, how are you? And then be willing to listen, <laughs> right? Because sometimes you get hit with an answer. I found myself doing this twice at the conference I was just at. How are you? Oh, I'm great. And then I actually paused and I said, all right, I, I'm not. It's been a Went, like, rough <sighs> few years. And then everybody right. left their shoulders back and said, same, right? But we, we get into this habit of not actually asking and listening, how are you? And we need to- One of my biggest- that skill Yeah, no, one of my biggest students. pet peeves was always, you know, one of the first things we teach students, you know, hola, como estas? Like, how are you? But we give them, I'm fine, thanks. Like, like, or if they, if they say mal, then we don't give them any yep. response. Like, what are we, what is the other person supposed to say? Like, okay, uh, my name is, you know, I'm 12 years old or whatever, you know? So it's like giving them that, those, those continuing, you know, how to respond if somebody says they're not good today, you know? I mean, even if it's as simple as I'm sorry right now, or, right. you know. And also deepening. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. How powerful is thank you for sharing and just sitting with other people and listening, right? That's so incredibly powerful. But I think, you know, I teach Spanish, which I'm very mm -hmm. fortunate for because there's a lot of cognates. So not all languages have cognates, but if teachers do want to deepen their emotion vocabulary that they're doing with their students, they can look at Plutchkick's Wheel of Emotions and it starts with eight binary emotions. And those are like the, the main ones. And that's a great place to start. And then you build out as the years go by and the students are more readily able to access different types of emotions. But you're right. We need right. the vocabulary in English, <laughs> right? We, we big time need the vocabulary in English. And then to be able to offer that to our students in target language is a, a gift that will serve them for the rest of their lives. Um, some of the great things that we do, and I didn't talk about this in um, my stress part, but a lot of building friendships also is relieving stress. So using music, music is known connect. to lower stress yeah. and it's also known to really help people connect. There are, like, there are studies that show that kids on college campuses who end up, they, they survey them at the beginning and what kind of music do you like? What do you listen to? And then they see which friend groups form. 
And the friend groups that form are actually the the groups that listen to the same types of music, which I yeah. think is so interesting. Um, but I'm not surprised by it, right? So we we like to use music because not only can it set the tone and the vibe and help kids talk about emotions and what they can visualize or what kind of sounds they hear, but the lyrics of a song offer, just like a quote, offer us and our students the words that sometimes they can't access for themselves, right? Sometimes you feel something, you can't access the emotion or you can't access what it is. But when we analyze lyrics and help our students even quote, it helps them, it helps them to have the vocabulary to express themselves. And we need that. A lot of us need that. There's so much more that we do with music and humor. Humor is so important and laughter is so crucial for friendships, but for happiness and for lifelong happiness and team building. <laughs> so you can do a corny joke contest or a meme contest, or um, I love Heidi Hanna, Dr. Heidi Hanna says, you don't have to be funny to see funny. So even your students who are like, I'm not funny, you could still identify what's humor or um you can have them show TikTok videos that it doesn't matter if they're not in the target language, they can discuss them in the target language that <laughs> make them laugh and then do a scale of laughter, right? How, what kind of laugh did this give you? And like, why? Um, what about it made you laugh? Before I give an assessment, I have them do something called funny talk. And funny talk <laughs> is you take your tongue and you put it right behind your teeth, like at the roof of your mouth. So they'll quiz each other <laughs> for what's going to be on the assessment. But they're probably not there. They're like, how do you contradict the verb? And they are hysterical <laughs> laughing. And it's great for them. It lowers their stress hormone. It releases all the tension in their jaws and in their necks. And it lets them really ease my, into I think my next team meeting, that's what we're going to do. I think, But it connects we'll, them as well. Yeah, I will do that. At maybe maybe my next presentation. <laughs> Funny talk. <laughs> it's a good one. Funny talk is great. You know, and humor, humor can be used... Mm -hmm for good and for evil, I guess, right? And so you have to really set boundaries when you're gonna use humor um, in your classes and you're gonna allow your students to bring in what they find to be funny because you always mm -hmm. wanna make sure they understand the difference of laughing with and laughing at. And using humor as power, but not power over power with, right? You wanna use humor to empower one another. So I think that's, that's just something that you wanna keep in mind when you're using humor in the classroom, right? Laugh at what you do, not who you are and use humor in the right way. So that's also really important for friendship building. Um, we do a lot of practicing of asking questions. So teacher hot seat is a really important one. The kids love it. I say, you can ask me anything as long as it's appropriate. I let them write it on the board first so that we can go through the grammar and nitty gritty stuff so they feel confident and they can ask me anything they want. And then they can ask me follow-up questions. Um, and we, sometimes I'll put an answer um, on the board, or I'll say an answer and I'll say, what was the, what do you think the question to this answer was? Right. So maybe I'm going to say to them in Spanish, Oh yeah, I, I've been doing that for 16 years. <laughs> That's great. How fun. What question? Right. And then they're thinking, right, they're thinking about how to ask yeah. questions and that's a really hard um, skill in a language to form questions. So the more rehearsal you can do, the better. And what's cool about teacher hot seat is this year <laughs> we had to hate the word pivot one day and go remote. And we had this great act. I had this lesson. It was a great activity. And we finished early. And the students said to me, can we do student hot seat? And they had built such trust with one another that we spotlighted them and they did student hot seat and they asked each other questions because that's, that's something great. that you really want to get them in the habit of I doing. Love. 
um, and, and listening. We do something called opinion chain and opinion chain isn't around the room activity one to 10, you know, like one strongly agree, 10 strongly disagree and everywhere in between. And we level them up because you want to be able to assert your opinion, but back it up. Right now we, when we, we let our students practice these kinds of skills of disagreeing, which is important in life, we want it to be about things that are not going to hurt anybody's identity. No one's going to go home crying about it. No one's going to feel like they're not part of the community because of it. So a simple <laughs> one that I would start with are the giants are better than the jets, right? And like they will go, I talk about burning with enthusiasm. They love agreeing to disagree on that or really just disagreeing or, you know, like this type of lunch is the best and you're going to keep leveling up until you're getting to more vulnerable topics. So one that I would say is, as you know, I teach all boys, boys can really show who they are at my school. And that's really fascinating to see them discuss and back up with evidence. And the reason you want them to be able to practice and rehearse these skills mm -hmm. is because friendships take a lot of work and they're not always easy, right? And we know our students have these, these conflicts in their friendships and they need to know how to work through them. So we do something called conflict corners. And this will be like mini skits, they get a day or two to write and practice, and then they perform. And it's not for a lot of points in class. This is really for fun. But we want them to rehearse disagreeing and working through conflict. So they the only rule is it has to be realistic. And you have to come up with a resolution. So we have them identify, I'll give you a sample scenario. So let's say, um, Okay. So let's, this one's called we're best friends. So you and your best friend, you've known each other your entire life. And every Friday you have a sleepover, you go get your favorite pizza and then you have a sleepover. You never miss it except for holidays. Right. And one Friday, your friend says to you that he can't hang out with you, but he doesn't give you a reason why. And then you see pictures of him at a party on Snapchat. So this is something that easily could happen to an eighth grade boy. Right. So first we're gonna go onto the mood meter and they're gonna identify the emotions of the two people involved. And they're going to talk about what the characters are thinking, what's going through their heads and what they're saying and what they're feeling and what they're saying, what words are coming out of their mouths. And then they're gonna write a skit, but they have to come up with a solution. And we have to allow our students the space and time to really practice these kinds of confrontations and conflicts so that when they do happen, they don't shut down and they know how to wow. compromise and ask questions, ask for help and share how they're feeling. So that's something that we do Amazing. quite often um, in our work. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking I've, so much. Or is everybody okay? Um, Are you okay, Michelle? <laughs> to everything you're saying. I've got so many notes, like my whole page is full of just amazing things. We're going to try and get some of these in the show notes as well. Um, but what I love is that it really is, um, yeah, definitely, you know, very practical and little things that teachers can add, you know, and, you know, right away. Um, and a lot of great things for the beginning of the school year as well. So I absolutely love it. And, you know, this, I, I am lucky because we have a lot of freedom to create, um, but this has changed the ways in which we create our units, right? And we purposefully and intentionally create relational units. Um, so the themes, 
we we said to each other like what makes us happy like i said before we worked on ourselves as human beings and we felt such growth and so much happiness through this work that we said what are we doing that's making us feel happy and healthy and connected um, as we go through our lives and then how can we bring that into the work that we do and we identified some really important i'd say concepts so a sense of belonging and mm -hmm. connection of feeling empowered and in control our culture and our faith our customs our family um, practicing gratitude, humor and laughter, doing good for others, right? So acceptance and friendship and service and self-awareness. And then we create our units around these concepts. And they have everything that you can see in a scope and sequence in a textbook, all of the grammar that you would need to teach. They have all of the, you know, high frequency vocabulary, but it, they're, they're rooted in helping every single member become a better version of themselves, right? We want our students, the last line in our vision statement is, I wanna find it so that I'm saying it correctly, but we want our, our teaching to be transformative, which means that we all have left better than when we came. And that's actively what we try to do. And it's, it's a lot of work, but it, it's a lot of passion and purpose. And it makes us feel really, it makes us feel like what we do really matters and it makes us feel seen and us feel heard as the educators. So it's incredible. I love that. How long that of a process was well. this for you and your team to kind of get to where you are now? Because I, I mean, I think what you're saying is just so human and, and it's going to resonate a lot with a lot of teachers and, and, and maybe some stress levels might be going up. Like, how, how am I going to do change everything I've ever done and, and do this? And, you know, and I know that it's a process, right? And no, then there are, there, these are a lot of, you know, you've already mentioned entry points, Absolutely. right? Some different things, but tell us a little bit, like, how long does this process take you like personally and just as a team, right? So I've been at my school for 11 years. And I'd say we started this work about six years ago, probably when, yeah, six years ago, I'd say. And then it started mm -hmm. with um, bullying. We saw Camilla and I, you know, when you have a colleague that you just are on fire with, it's like your brains come together and it's explosion. So it started with Camilla and then we hired the next one and then it was Steven and then it was Natalie and then it was Jesus and it was this team. And it was just this constant sharing of ideas, but we found a video on bullying, a song that we were like, let's use this. And it became so rich and the students were so into it that it kind of was like one thing after the other. And then we found Brene Brown's video on empathy. And then that led us to the next thing and the next thing. So it's, it was honestly not mm -hmm. that intentional or purposeful when it started. It was just, let's try. And then we would come back to each other, bouncing off the walls with excitement because it was working and it mattered. And then when that happens, it's like, you can't help but start seeing things in a different way. Once you try it and you like open up your lens of awareness, you can't help but say, okay, so I have this unit that's on... <laughs> school. Let me tell you about my school unit. 
I have a unit on school. We all have our unit on school, right? And what are we learning in our unit on school? Classroom materials. And we're learning about, you know, uh, people in the school building and the names of the school. Okay. So I'm like, great. We're having so much fun learning about the school and it's, it's here and it's manipulatives and we're hands-on and we're loving it. But is that enough? No. So I'm going to take that unit and I'm going to turn it into a story. And this story is about Sergio. And Sergio is a little boy at my school. He's in third grade because this is a third grade unit. And he loves his school because he loves his friends and he loves his after school activities and he loves field. But he really, really feels negatively about himself because he's disorganized and can't find what he needs. And he seems to be getting in trouble all the time. So he has horrible negative self-talk. So he goes throughout his day. And by the way, his day mirrors my students' schedule exactly because they're like so keyed in on it. Like, oh no, Sergio came to Spanish class and he didn't have what he needed. So he no. Play it <laughs> while everyone else is playing Blook It and the kids are like, no, you can't just Blook It. That's the worst. So, and what is Sergio doing? He's saying to himself, I'm stupid. I'm not smart. But his friends see in him what he can't see in himself. So they're like, Sergio is an amazing artist. And I love working with Sergio. Sergio and I made this great invention for science invention convention. And he's so creative. Or Sergio is a great friend. So they start to build him up. And they give him all of these affirmations and show him what he can't see in himself. So then he takes what, and by the way, through this process, guess who yeah. else is learning? My boys, they're, they're practicing right. affirmations. Sergio doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> you are a Sergio. You know, it's like hidden, it's hidden. It's really, <laughs> but they are, you are Sergio. You used to have meltdowns and now you're like Mr. Growth Mindset because you're learning through Sergio. But so they're practicing all these positive self-talk mantras and they're coming up with strategies like, guys, what should Sergio do right now? Well, he should go ask for help. How does he ask for help if he feels embarrassed or ashamed, right? And you're talking through these real life scenarios with the students. And so Sergio practices this with the boys because they have to help him because that's what friends do. And he internalizes it. And then he goes through his day with a different mindset and it completely changes the ways in which he interacts, the ways in which he learns. And in the end, everybody is so much happier and more connected. And this is a third grade unit. They put on a, an incredible skit about this this year. It was three classes. So each class was a different part. The first one was Sergio with negative fixed mindset. The second was the students lifting Sergio up. That was the second class. And the third class was Sergio taking all of this that he's learned and weaving it through his interactions oh, cool. throughout the day. And it was like a traveling performance throughout the day. So, you know, really, really cool, but unbelievable because my student, who I obviously will not use his name, the most fixed mindset you could ever imagine in Spanish. Like, I can't, I won't, absolutely not. I have them write proposals for the roles that they want to be. And they have to tell me why. How is it going to stretch you as a Spanish student and as a human being? He said he wanted the two biggest roles because he wanted a challenge. And this child memorized every single line and he crushed it. And then he said to me, and the other boys did too, can we, can I dance in the show? Because I love to dance. Can I bring in my musical instrument and play? I mean, this entire thing is about lifting each other up and 
re- recognizing our strengths. And I was like, yes, you can do that. And then another boy's like, I'm really good at That's iMovie. Awesome. Can I film and then put it together? Yes, you can do that. Or can I make a pamphlet? Or So they start getting so excited and recognizing their true, authentic, amazing, and beautiful selves. And they see what it's like to be part of a community where we all lift that. one another up and we compliment one another. So, right, right. Yes, so that's a great unit. place to just start, right? We all have identity <laughs> units. We have family units. We have, you know, these kind of thematic sort of units. So how can we make them reflect some of these things is a, is a great entry point, right? And what's incredible is over the years now, my team, our brains are wired to look for the opportunities and the story. Everything's through stories. Stories are so powerful for empathy building and for students to connect. So now my team, they'll come to me with an idea and I'm like, oh my God, that's genius. And what's really cool about my team is even if we're not teaching the same grades, we want to create it together because we get so excited by the other person's idea. So that's, it's taken a long time and it's not everything right. that sounds amazing right. like this, but poquito a poco, right? <laughs> so I think that these are just, I'm really grateful that you invited me to share. And I know that I am in a situation where I have tons of resources, tons of freedom, and it's not that easy for Mm -hmm. others. And that's why I try to share a lot on social media and through opportunities like this. But please connect and reach out if you're curious or you have an idea, but you're not quite sure how to, to get it going. I mean, this kind of stuff lights me up and I would love for us to be the... I love that. And you know, you're right. You know, sometimes you have that, right. You know, you have an easy collaborative community kind of, you know, in your situation, but we you can seek those. You might be the only, I mean, I I work a lot. You you're involved also with Nell and it might be one language teacher doing all of the things and they're all by themselves or, you know, or maybe, you know, your department people that you're with don't have this new <laughs> feeling, you know, like this excitement about this path, but there are people out there and there are, you know, that is one of the things I think that, you know, one of, one of the Nell members, past president Kathleen Priceman has, has talked about, you know, pandemic perks. And I, and I think that there are some things like just, Hey, zoom, <laughs> do you want to zoom me for 15 minutes break? You know, like there's so many opportunities to connect and, you know, um, just reaching out to those organizations, those people, you know, going on, you know, that's why I saw for the first time um, what you were doing with the gratitude um, journals and, you know, just great ideas and ways to connect and, and, you know, conferences or wherever. But um, I, I really appreciate what you have brought here today. And not only your immense knowledge, I know you say you're not a you know, a professional, but I tell you your immense knowledge that you've shared, but also just your passion and your enthusiasm and your spirit and your laughter has been just a joy. And it has been just absolutely my pleasure um, to talk with you. So it has been great. So please connect with us. What's your Twitter handle? I know you're on Twitter and Instagram, right? So what are you? Yes, I actually, and honestly, in the, you know, spirit of mental health, I did a break from tweeting and posting. Actually, one of my students was like, hey, Senorita, are you okay? Because oh, you you're not posting on your Senorita Spielberg Instagram a lot. And I was like, oh my God, I love you. I know, how cute is that? But 
hopefully yeah. I'll get back into it. And I'm always available to chat if you do message me on there. So Twitter is at Samara, S-A-M-A-R-A, <laughs> S-P-I-E-L-B-E-R-G. No relation to Steven, unfortunately. Um, awesome. And then well, thank Instagram you so much. S-R-T-A, and I know you're looking forward to connecting um, with others. Yeah. And we're just so happy to have had you here today. 